As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. And welcome to From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, it's midweek and, oh, thank goodness, we're not going to be talking about uh, a Watford match and having to reflect <laughs> on what's happened. <sighs> Relax. My name's John. Uh, with me is Mike. Hello to you, John. Hello. Look at, listen to you. Uh, and uh, <laughs> the, uh, the Athletic's Watford correspondent, Adam Leventhal. Good evening, Adam. Oh, very good evening. Hello. Uh, we're here to talk about uh, something you've been working on for a while, Adam, and the, the piece came out uh, this week. Uh, you've had an interview with someone who I saw was trying to think, was he, was he a myth or, or was he, was he a, a, a mystery man? No, because we could see him. He, w- he was definitely the visible face of the club hierarchy for me and the man who was getting all the blame for all the club's shortfalls in this last season, Filippo Giraldi. It's a, a great interview out today that we're recording this, and, and it seems to have really hit, uh, uh, it seems to have really uh, found an audience, uh, and everyone is uh, loving it. Yeah, I. I'm glad. It was an interview that I'd I'd wanted to do for for quite some time. Even an interview that I would have liked to have done when he was still at Watford. But he left his role as technical director. He'd previously been the chief scout at at the club. He left his role as technical director in in November. And then there was a little bit of a hiatus when people were going, well, has he he gone? Is he still there? Is he going to work still for for the Pozzo family? And then it became clear that, yes, he had... He had left. Turns out that right. Well, we can we can now speak about your experiences at the club. And I think you know, as you mentioned there, people have found it very interesting. I think this interview could have fallen at a different time after a victory or in the middle of three wins on the bounce or whatever. But I suppose it's it's quite timely. I suppose, and that's you know that's sometimes you you can't really plan it. It just it just happens. So we caught up last week. Yeah, we sat down and we spoke for two hours via Zoom. Obviously, we weren't sat next to each other. He was speaking from his home in in Florence. We just spoke about his time in the Pozzo setup at Watford and and the 
the interesting thing, and we'll obviously, you know, dig into what he said and everything, but it was great to get his take on things because he has been there right from the start. People might not have been aware of him at the beginning because you'll remember it was even Gianpaolo Pozzo, the, the, you know, the father of Gino that was initially there when it was the Pozzo family coming in. And then you had, you still had Scott Duxbury, of course, the chief executive only at the time now obviously the chairman as well. And you had Gianluca Nani, who was the technical director, but Giraldi was the the chief scout. So he wasn't one of the, the prominent figures, but he was actually one of the people that came initially to do reconnaissance work on Watford before the club had actually been bought by the, by the Pozzo family. So he is someone that has seen the journey all the way through, the, the good, the bad and the ugly. So it was, it was, it was great to get his take on, on, on the journey but obviously, with quite a lot of focus on the last eighteen months or so. Mike, what did you know? What did you as a, yeah, as a fan? I, I've seen him at a couple of fans' forums. He was always uh, a great talker. You know, what did you think of him before this article? To be perfectly frank, it was difficult to get a real handle on what his day-to-day life and responsibilities were. I think the obvious thing, if you think of Filippo Giraldi. You think about him being down there at the touchline at, at full time, don't you? If you sat in the Sir Elton John stand, you'd be conscious of him being in and around the, the, at the back there, often quite quite vocal as well. But he'd pop up, wouldn't he, down there at the at the touchline, and you'd think he really is hands on, isn't he? On a he's he's you know he he's across that sort of invisible divide that only that only a very few people get to go across on a match day, which is basically to the touch touchline. So. I have to be honest, and uh, you know, I was aware of his his role as as technical director, but you know, hand on heart, could I have explained to say Arlo or or someone who didn't know anything about football or or Watford exactly what his role was? And I think probably not. So I was really interested to you know, uh, uh, salivating when Adam tipped us the wink that he was going to be having the opportunity to talk to him. Wondered about how open he'd be, and, and when I read the article, we're talking on Tuesday. When I read it this morning, first thing. It was great because it was it was a, a, a valuable insight into what his day to day was like and what and such a, a valuable insight into what it's like working with with Gino and, and Scott, what the Watford machine actually looks like. And I think it's a real glimpse behind the curtain and the first one we've had, certainly of this nature, for, for some time. And Adam mentioned it, it being timely, and I do think that it, it really is. We've we've talked at length about how everyone feels frustrated and upset and worried. Well, I think what this does is because you do get that glimpse behind the curtain, it humanises the whole thing, the whole aspect. Mm. It's easy to say Pozzo family. It's easy to say the regime. It's easy to say the project. It's easy to say Giraldi cocked it up with the transfers. It's easy to do all that stuff. And, And hearing from Filippo Giraldi, it shows that these people going into work to do their very best um, for a club that they're obviously invested in financially and emotionally. It's a really difficult industry and sort of stuff, a lot of the stuff that Filippo Giraldi talks about, the moving parts, there's loads of them, basically. And it's a, it's a juggling act, it's a tightrope, whichever cliche you want to use. It's, it's true. And I, I just loved hearing from him because it puts some meat on the bones of what, of what life is like working inside Watford. And that sort of, <sighs> there's an easy assumption to assume. It's like, right, get us up, keep us in the Premier League, let's aim for Europe. And there's so much going on. And just hearing about the, the challenges and the difficulties was fascinating, illuminating and, and really timely. That human element, that human aspect, humanising the people involved couldn't have come at, at a better time. 
The article you can read uh, on theathletic.com uh, and uh, you can uh, subscribe if you're not already uh, at theathletic.com forward slash rookerien. But let's hear a little bit of the interview that Adam did with Filippo. Uh, in this bit, we're going to hear uh, about his role at Watford, his relationships with coaches, uh, with uh, making decisions uh, and signing players or not, uh, and how he worked with the club's hierarchy, the chairman, Scott Duxbury, and the owner, Gino Pozzo. And of course, how he reacted to the backlash he seemed to be getting last season. I've always been involved with stay with coaches, support the coach, uh, see and speak with them more before than after. After you do an analysis. But if you want to really be a support, you have to discuss way of playing style before. Then my respect for every coach we've got has been total. And I don't want to say that uh, you can speak with them and ask them if I've ever interfered. I've done my job, that is to confront them, to speak with them, to let them understand that we would like every player to have been given an opportunity. But when the right time is, no, it's like if he's an asset for the club, let's try to see if he's the right asset or if we have made a mistake that is possible. So I consider myself good at my job, not if I don't do mistake, but if I do as less mistake as possible. And to do that, I need not to be lazy to watch a game more, even when I'm tired, to keep going, to keep watching, because I will always do mistakes. Maybe I sign a good player who is not working in our team. I think the big difference between a scout and a director is sometimes there is a good player who doesn't feel a team. So it's the understanding of the chemistry between players. And this is something I always try to, to respect. Now, you, you cannot sign two central defenders with the same characteristic. I know one of the criticism has been on the defense. I think that the organization is very important. We have always tried with our possibility because uh, it's not like we got a petrodollar owner. So we have always to respect the club and the safety of the club. So most of the time I would have loved uh, as well to sign uh, uh, without limit, but that's not our job. So And I've enjoyed that and I was completely sharing the, the situation. Then, of course, sometimes you want to, can we go and sign a player more? If we can, we can. If not, not. It's, not, it's how football is and no, no problem. Scott has been fantastic. It's been unusual. I don't think I will ever gain a relation between, I mean, myself, Gino and Scott has been, we were thinking about the club 24 hours and then I think last year is has changed a lot of things because um, people were much more nervous because of the situation. The, and that has changed also our relation, unfortunately. But my point of view is uh, really an incredible way of working together to respect the other. And uh, I was giving my opinion to Scott in things more close to his part of the job. And he was giving his opinion to me without that being influential. But very important in the way that he will listen to another voice, not because we were talking overnight, early in the morning. It was a, a full immersion. No, it's not like, okay, I do my job, now I go home and I switch off. No, we will, honestly, I have never switch off. And have, uh, that's the way I, I work. And so if there is something we can correct, sometimes we have made mistakes. That's part of the job. But we have never made a mistake because we haven't care or we haven't think about maybe sometimes we have think too much about the thing mm. sometimes we have disagreed between us sometimes my my view has prevailed other times scott view or most of the time 
Gina's view has prevailed, but that has been through a real confrontation, not because there is a, a owner or a CEO or a technical that they have to be responsible. No, we confront the idea and we go after out of the room with one idea and it's been very good, yeah. Well, I wanted to go back to something you said about being at the training ground, but it's a different way of doing things. You know, you being at the training ground, there being analysis of training and things like that. And that was something that Kike sort of seemed to suggest was a bit like, it's almost like giving a bit of a claustrophobia, like too much mm-hmm. attention, too much pressure. There is different approach, okay? It's always down to men. The honesty you have as a man to approach with another man. If you are honest in your judgment, and honesty means that you have to report to an owner if there is something that is not correct at all, but you cannot solve on your own. I can, I think I can solve most of the problem between myself and the coach. So I'm not someone who likes to report. I mean, there's problems. Sometimes there's something I don't like and I discuss. I discuss with the owner, with Scott. I discuss with, with the coach first. That's the way it should work. I don't report the things that someone else wants me to report. I don't like to report things. I watch a training session to have my own opinion, not to report what is happening. I've never done that. I understand what you mean with the, with the situation of the head of performance, uh, that Kike was a bit annoyed because it looks like they are analyzing my job. No, that's the feeling they have. It's not really that, huh? But it's difficult to let them understand that it's not that. Because the analysis of the game was we were taking care of prevention as a club. To take care of prevention, prevention is means we can put a player available or not, depending on loading on his own situation. Head of uh, performance is more interested in that. And part of that is also watching training to see how players behave in training to see if that will lead or not to an injury. But... They don't trust that. They want to trust what they like sometimes, coaches. No? So they think, no, no, that's the excuse for them. No, it's not an excuse. Then there has been a couple of situations where they were right. There was going a bit too much in terms of questioning why you do that instead of doing that. But that's normal. First of all, I think Kike is a very good coach. But I think there was a reason we didn't confirm him in the first season. We decided not to exercise the option for a further year with him. There was a reason for that. That was a story that, for me, should have finished there. I've taken part in every decision, okay? So I am not hiding any of my responsibility I've always done. I think we should have gained more time to have And uh, I didn't tell that to you. Uh, I say that uh, as well. When was the time to do it? I think that has been a mistake to dismiss him at that time. Maybe after other games, with the, if we didn't see change, it should have been something we, we could have considered. And my personal view, that is not a club view, is what Filippo thinks, and uh, is that we should have given him uh, more time. For the last eight months, I was the scapegoat of everything. The defeat and Man City was better recruitment. Okay, the same recruitment who lead to a 3-0 win against the unbeaten Liverpool. So I'm not considering myself a genius because we ought to have done everything right mm-hmm. as I don't consider that I have done mistake. There are other parts. The responsibility has been mine. So the mistake has to be referred to myself and I take the responsibility for that. It's not that I'm uh, hiding for the responsibility of sign or not sign a player. 
the owner and the club in general has been brilliant. With that possibility, but it's been brilliant every time. Then, on some other decision on coaches, probably I should have fight stronger for my opinion. But we had to accept also that the person who is taking the biggest responsibility in terms of financial is not myself. And we have always to take care that the most important thing is the safety of the club. We cannot put our heart in the air and waiting for things to happen. We must act in a way that the club will be strong no matter what happens. I don't like and I never like to work through slogan. We will be go back there, we will do the this on that. No, it's the job of every day who will define us. So that's what we have to do. Work harder than the other because we have less resource. Is try to reduce the margin of error. And that is valid for myself and for every people who were working with me. Then to discover or for you to have an opinion, it doesn't matter of myself talking about me personally. You need to speak with people at the club and think what they think about. Is now I accept everything they will say because I've worked with all of them eight years and a half. I know how I have worked. So I'm uh, completely in peace with myself. It didn't end well. The relegation is still something that uh, annoyed me incredibly, but it cannot cancel what has been a fantastic journey about five years in the Premier League, competing with every team and beating the biggest club uh, in the world and uh, doing that quite regularly. Is the era of of social media and um, it's much more easy for someone to go there and and say uh, how bad you are, uh, this in, this out. Uh, is a shame, is a shameful, whatever, whatever Walter have done, blah, blah, blah. They haven't done nothing. People forget quickly. But uh, on the other side, I have to say that every time that I've met some Walter fans on the street, it's been magnificent. They've always been thankful. They've always been supportive. And I've learned how people care about this club, how much they, they love their club. No matter what. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. 
Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Uh, from the Rookwin, we've been a massive supporter of prostate cancer for a few years. You might remember our walk we did from St Albans to Watford to Barnet to Wembley Stadium uh, to, to help support Mike's dad, who was suffering from prostate cancer a few years ago. He's all right now. It's all going very well. Uh, and the Athletic are doing their bit to help support such a, an important cause such as prostate cancer. They're actually going to put on 31 football quizzes across February and March. And the yeah, aim is to find out which subscriber is the most knowledgeable. And, of course, hopefully raise some money for this very important cause. Prostate Cancer UK help fund life-saving research and provide valuable support and information for men and their partners affected or worried about prostate cancer. We'll be encouraging you to donate money on the night for such a great cause. There'll be a quiz for every single team the Athletic covers and the Watford quiz hosted by Adam Leventhal will be on Monday, March the 8th. The winner of uh, that quiz and, and all the quizzes will go through to the grand final uh, at the end of March, where there'll be a very nice £1,000 up for grabs. And of course, the Athletic will match this with a donation to prostate cancer. If you're not already a subscriber, you can sign up by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. Uh, and if you are, or at least once you are, then you can register to play the quiz by searching for prostate cancer on the Athletic website. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the rookery end. Just hearing Filippo speak there, it's wonderful to, I said it, how the piece humanises him, but hearing from him does so as well. I think it's important to point out, perhaps at this stage, that obviously language at the moment is very important. Everything's very emotive and highly charged at the moment, isn't it? And I think perhaps it's worth saying at the top that direct quotes can be dangerous, can't they, when 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 listening to or writing down what Filippo said because it can, something can get lost in in translation and perhaps it's important that we remind people not to be a hundred percent literal with with absolutely everything that's said is that is that fair do you think yeah but I, th- I think you know he's got he's got a good grasp of English as we've oh, absolutely. You know, just heard you know absolutely. that'll be the first time that a lot of people um maybe have heard from him I know he, he did um you know an interview quite a while back for the club he did on you know on video there's been a, a print one as well that he did but he's not really been heard of and he said i don't think i put it in the piece but he said you know i prefer not to talk i prefer to work and that is just his way you know he's he's very much a person he uses the phrase you know it's it's full immersion um yeah. in terms of his 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 job and the way that he works he's a you know a workaholic this is someone that was going to a game, watching it back. He actually said, and I didn't put it in the piece, that he would almost sometimes torture himself if <laughs> things hadn't gone gone well. Um, and he did that, which I couldn't believe because it would be the last thing that I would want to watch. I remember being there with my mum and a couple of mates um, watching the game against Leeds when it all just went wrong. 
you know, he was saying that that was one of the most confusing games he's ever witnessed. And he actually went back to his house and put the game on and started to watch it and thought, right, come on, we have to move on because we've got the playoff semi-finals now to to focus on. And and also, he joked he couldn't quite believe that um, that there was a an end of season dinner crammed in in the middle as well because mm-hmm. it wasn't the normal thing done for um, Italian clubs. They might have sort of you know reunions for the players at the end of the season, but to get the fans and the players together, it was actually quite a unique thing. So, you know, I learned a little bit about his his journey, but also about how much the job um, actually meant to him. And, you know, from, from his point of view, I think he was able to speak, going back to your original point, with, with confidence uh, about how he felt and the experiences that he'd had. And the interactions that he was able to have not only with um, you know the ownership group in in Gino Pozzo and, and Scott Duxbury, which he spoke very honestly about, and you know as we heard there, you know taking his fair share of the of the blame for things, but also you know when you are ruling a football club by committee to a certain degree, because we know that you know the buck stops with Gino Pozzo, and he mentions it there that ultimately mm. if you're putting all the money in. Then yeah. you will have the the final the final say on things. It reminded me a little bit of um, when Brian Clough would say that <laughs> you know we'll talk about it and then we'll realise that I'm right. Um, it's sort I was going to say exactly the same thing. I, I, I loved it. I said I loved the fact that he explained the way that they would discuss it. And I think he said sometimes it would be sometimes we'd come away and it'd be sometimes my decision, sometimes yeah. Scott's decision, and then a little <laughs> almost like a, a, a comedic sort of theatrical pause. Yeah. And he'd go and he said. Usually Gino's to see. <laughs> yes, it's perfect. Yeah. What a great uh, sort of little insight into into the reality of of working there. And what, the other thing that was just hearing you talk and recount that there, Adam, there as well was just the the commitment, the desire, the professionalism that's that's required to to do a job like that. Uh, because you know we are me. I'm certainly speaking for myself as a, as a football supporter. Very emotional, and you get very. Very sometimes very high, sometimes very low, and emotions can be all over the shop with with football. And you talk about that Leeds game. I've never watched that back. I've never watched the Man City game, the Cup final back, um, and and probably probably never will. But that's the difference between these guys having to go in and sort of make the tough decisions. And and he spoke quite a lot about that, didn't he? About having the, about the, the the tougher side of the the job, you know, late night, early morning conversations with Gino or Scott, which I'm sure must have been difficult. Managing those relationships with the head coaches, which I think something that's something that people were really picked up on, didn't it? The the potential for his sort of interference, for want of a better word, with with head coaches. And I don't think that's that's there's two things that I got from the interview, and that was one of them, Mike. The thing about him watching on the training ground. And he does talk about the fact it was for prevention and, and, and for making sure training was right. But you know, fans have sort of been critical of that because I think fans sort of sit there and they go, well, I don't want to be watched doing my job. Mm-hmm. No one does that. I have to. I'm a teacher. And uh, once a term, uh, the head teacher comes in and she watches me do a lesson. That's part of what I do. But actually, there aren't many jobs where you have to have that sort of situation. And it must be off-putting and when you know things are going wrong and he said he didn't normally report and he would always speak up front to the to the coaches he would speak to them first and I get that but and you know he's a very very honest person but there were definitely things where you think his role and being the in-between man between the coach and Gino 
would just cause problems, or at least they wouldn't be able to solve problems. Well, I think what I found the most interesting was the context that he was able to to put around those interactions from the recruitment of the head coach to the employment of the head coach to the point where there might be fears that that head coach isn't the right person. You know, what he would say on a on a constant basis is, I was there to support the head coach. So the bond initially was, right, how do you want to play? What system do you like? Um, you know, we might need to integrate some of these players because we have, you know, this experienced player that we want to push forward. We might want to, you know, sell him or he's a really important you know, player in the squad, you know, that's not revolutionary stuff. That's the sort of normal interaction that maybe you might have directly with a chairman or at other football clubs. These are interactions that happen all the time. I think probably the the reason that the atmosphere, and you know, you, in the in the clip there, you included the, the question that I'd asked him about that sort of claustrophobic feeling. That obviously gets raised more and more the more frequent the head coaches come and go, I suppose. And people will say, you know, outside, well, this this atmosphere isn't conducive to a, a happy relationship. But he is able to explain a little bit more that the head coaches know that they're not coming here to play a part in recruitment. We've known that for a long time. So that that's not sort of completely different to, to anything that we, we we are familiar with. But then you do still sort of bump into head coaches along the way that that might not have read the small print a little bit. I was going to say, there must be always something in it. I know they're not going to go in there, Sam Allardyce, and say, I want to find, you know, buy 50,000 players. No, I'm joking. But, you know, that that sort of feeling of, you know, well, there's there's this player I'd like to to bring in. Is that that okay? And I think we've seen that. And we saw that early in the Premier League, you know, under Kike and and under uh, Walter. They definitely brought in a few of their players. Every manager must know, okay, I get it. I get it. I'm not going to sign every player and prove them all, but I'll have a say, won't I? And and Or at least assume they would. I think there is a, a consultation that goes through. Um, and that's happened even recently. It, it, it was very clear that Vladimir Ivic had, had had some part to play in some of the signings in sort of assessing the squad. And let's not forget, that was a really, really difficult period that the the club was going through because they didn't really know what players they were going to end up with um, who still wanted to play for the club and all that sort of stuff but there was you know obviously some talks going on about I would quite like a left back or a left wing back or just a left footer if anyone just just someone with a left foot would would do please Mm. Um, and obviously it never arrived under his reign just gives a little window into the fact that yes there are discussions and that is more with um, Filippo Giraldi's successor, Cristiano Gioretta, obviously now. But in terms of, you know, the other things that the head coach knows when he comes into the the club, yes, he's not going to have a, a part in, in recruitment, but also he will be introduced to all the supplementary staff or support staff um, around that, that is often in existence when they come in. You don't come in with, you know, bringing your full team of, of coaches at Watford necessarily. Sometimes it happens, but not not always. Um, so, I, I, you know, I remember like Nigel Pearson, for example, almost thinking, you know, right, I've, I've, I've been out of the game for a while. I've come back in, worked in Belgium. I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to mm. embrace this sort of new approach. So it's not something that is 
automatically a negative thing. Yeah, this is what I meant Ad, by the quotes, because one of the things that has been pulled out by, by quite a lot of people is the phrase, we're not a club that leaves the coach alone and lets him get on with yeah. the job. Now, I think yeah. you could, if you're a, if you're a, a Pozzo sceptic, if you like, and say, look at that, they've got their nose in it uh, every minute of every day, you can't get on there. When the reality is, I think what he is actually inferring there is that when you're manager of a head coach at Watford, we are there to assist and we are there to help. And there is a whole team and there is a whole sort of, um, you know, there is a hierarchy, there is stuff that you're responsible for and won't be responsible, but you will know the people who are and you will have discussions with the people that are responsible for this. And we're not just going to let you leave you at the training ground six days a week and then march into your office after the game and say, what the heck happened there? I think that's the... And, you know, there are different layers, aren't there, to it? He did sort of discuss his what he does at the training ground and... And he he was sort of not defensive, but he was very he said, "Look, I I can't. It's my job to know what's going on in training because then I can't really, in good faith, talk to the manager if I haven't seen what's going on." So you could argue that you don't, you know you do you want an absentee member of the high hierarchy if you like barking orders at you if he's not sort of seeing what's going on all the time. So I could definitely you know they could definitely feel the uh, feel the pinch. Couldn't you, if things aren't going well, when you look out the corner of your eye and there's Filippo Giraldi, and you know that um, Gino Pozzo's in the uh, in the in the training complex somewhere as well with a with a gold ballpoint pen and uh, on his mobile phone, making furiously jotting notes. You, you know, you de- you definitely could see why that would be potentially intimidating, maybe or slightly slightly concerning. But also, you know, you want the people that you are responsible to to be aware of what of what you're doing. I guess. I think you're absolutely right. I suppose the thing that so many people have said is that, well, it's clearly not working now Mm. because, you know, Watford are going through head coaches um, time and time and time again. But the, the, the point whereby he explains when they start to have some worries is actually quite interesting. Um, And I'll come on to to Kike in a moment's time because he actually raised it in an article that I wrote. Obviously, I went over to Madrid and we did that podcast where I was sort of taking you through the journey, me sitting in a cafe and all that sort of stuff. Um, So I'll come on to Kike in a moment. But when he basically says, look, we start to, to worry a little bit when we see a head coach maybe working on something throughout the week and then, you know, there is there is no real evidence that the work that he is doing on the training pitch is being put into play in matches. And you sort of go, well, yeah, that, that makes sense. And I know a lot of people have sort of put the two things together that have emerged over the last, um, what, few days. You know, the fact that Chisco Munoz was practicing on the Thursday with a 3-5-2 and then it was a 4-4-2 on Saturday. But in the piece that I did previous to this one, I did also highlight, well, you know, it's not necessarily clear whether that is preparing for for the future or if it was for another reason, if there wasn't a player that was available or whatever. But you can see that it makes sense for the likes of the, the technical director or for the owner or for the chairman and the chief executive to see a clear path between, right, this is what's happening and, okay, we can see the the sort of the correlation between training pitch and and matches. And, and Filippo says in the piece, we can come through defeats fine if we know that everything is, yeah, on track. So, you know, it's not like if whenever there's a defeat they you know they lose their proverbial it, they can understand defeats mm. 
I suppose it's just at the moment there is that problem that they are, and this is something that I think is a very important part of the interview, that he was able to delve into the reason why the squad looks the way that it does because of what happened in the summer. And we've been talking about it for quite some time, you know, on, on recent podcasts and basically saying, you know, they couldn't shift some of the players that they had wanted to shift or intended to shift. And it meant that they had to go, okay, let's switch the plan B then and we'll have to you know, sell these players to La Liga sides, the likes of Estupinian or, or Suarez or, you know, not being able to bring Hernandez back into the mix. Obviously, relegation had a key point in that. The finances had a key um, part to play in that. And the pandemic, obviously, you know, taking a, a big hit on the, on, the, on the money coming into the club. So he was able to explain it. And I think, you know, one other big part of, of, of this interview is simply that, he was able to explain the view of what has been going on at a decision-making level. You know, you pulled out on the last podcast, I think it was, the quote that's being used a lot yeah. on social media about... We will do all we can. Well, two things on that. From from what Filippo was saying in this piece, I think you can, un- you can understand the emotion and the investment that these people have. So those words aren't empty words. They are actually what they are intending to do. All these fans who keep reposting, they're getting confused with them saying, this is, we'll do everything we can, not everything that we want to do, or not everything that is, impo- is possible in the realms of, well, not reality, basically. Uh, and you, and the, I think there's definitely that feeling that the way he talks about how they worked, their commitment to their work, that they were, and they, they still are, doing everything they can. But also, he does admit... Of course, not every decision they make is a right decision. But again, that's real life. I like the, 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 it, the reality of life running a football club becomes clear listening and reading Filippo Giraldi's words. He, he mentions Gino Pozzo has invested a lot of money and therefore he has the ultimate decision. So that, I think, is important for everyone to take a moment and realise. There's real people investing real money into our football club and therefore he wants to, to protect it and do best for that. So that's important you know for me to 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 be critical about Watford is is fine but I also have to remember I'm not the one with millions and millions of pounds invested in it so that I think that's helpful just to have us reminded of that from time to time I do think it was fascinating talking about the transfer window and he and he used the phrase the market I think has stopped so that tells you how difficult the the trading is out there and so if you combine that with uh, relegation as well so that's you know Watford overnight were less attractive for players coming in, more attractive for players trying to to get out. And then if you combine all that, and he also mentioned security and the future of Watford, he mentions that a lot. And I think that's something that we need to remember and be aware of and be conscious of. You know, he mentions Purvis Estupinian and Luis Suarez, a left-back and a striker, potentially in the building, ready to go. And what are the two areas where, where, where we as supporters have been quite critical of not having um, grade-A players, left-back and a striker? Well, unfortunately, they had to be moved on because we were relegated uh, and we didn't, we didn't, the money needs to come in to fill that gap because you don't get as much TV money, believe it or not, in the Championship as you do in the Premier League, despite parachute money. So they had to, money had to come in to plug that gap they would have preferred to sell other players who weren't able they weren't able to get rid of so that's the reality so and and i think what what becomes clear and is that there is a plan 
of course, there is a succession plan, and you know we we did talk about it. If we had stayed up last year, the Watford squad would have looked could could have looked pretty tidy, um, and the, and and the plan could have all come to, come to fruition. But there is a there is a plan when it comes to to head coaches, and if things aren't aligning, they've they've been in football between them. You know, the experience they've all had in in football is is long enough to recognise when things are are going south pretty rapidly when it comes to to a head coach. We'd all like them not to fire as many. We'd all like a bit of more longevity. But the reality is they know that they probably have, it's not a tick box, but they have a, a list of things. And if that's going wrong, that's going wrong, and that's going wrong, then the likelihood is that the, the, the head coach isn't going to turn things around. And that's that's why they act. And in terms of the transfer policy, they do have a plan. They do, you know, that for, for us as supporters to suggest that they can't recognise that we've got a striker issue is is a bit daft, really. And to, for them to suggest that we haven't, they've no idea that we need a left-sided defender is daft. And the fact that he mentions that, not daft, but is is a bit short-sighted for us as supporters. It's the Pozzo industry, is football. They don't get to own football clubs and make them successful by luck. And I just think hearing it laid out and reading it laid out is a little reminder. It's like, ah, yeah, these these lads know what they're doing. They're working really hard in, in difficult, challenging circumstances. And as he alludes to, plenty of mistakes along the way. They hold their hands up to it. But I do get the sense of of chaps of experienced blokes trying really hard for the for the club that, that that we love, and I think it's you just see it's that little insight into the the reality of a day in the office for these guys. It's it's tough. I really like the fact that he is now, or I can definitely view him as this man who isn't a hundred percent to blame. He played his role or the rest of it because I remember being at the Brighton away game last year where. We, you know, of course, we, we drew with an own goal from Adrian Mariapa, and the bloke behind me just shouted, this is all down to Giraldi. It's all Giraldi's fault. It's like, how on earth do you know that, mate? How do you know that? Just who, Why is he the bad guy? And I know he put himself, you know, doing the, you know, doing the high fives and stuff as the players come off the pitch. Right there, he made himself visible and, and open for that. But it, it's just good, Adam, so in some ways, that he still looks back on his time. He still uses the word we uh, when he's talking about Watford. Uh, and also... You know, he does see the Watford fans and the ones that he interacted with uh, as as being very thankful to him for everything that he did do during his time, if it did end in the end uh, with that relegation. I don't think that, you know, he absolves himself from the blame. He he said it on, an, on a number of occasions. You know, he, he obviously mentioned the fact that he felt that he was a little bit of a scapegoat. And also, I was very, very keen to speak to him about some of the things that had been written by me about him. Let's not forget there was the the article that I wrote where it it appeared and we we asked the question is Filippo Giraldi sort of influencing in-game activity in that game against Manchester City. So I was able to talk to him about that and he was very well aware of it and he was able to explain exactly what was going on. Explain that there was some issues over the GPS and and things like that and he was sitting there with the head of performance and they were going up and down like hamsters in a in a cage playing on their toys. It was it was quite entertaining to watch and it was just very very eye-catching. So, you know, I I wrote an article about it and he was able to explain it in the um in this article that is obviously on the athletic now the point that he was visible is that he had a, a confidence in what he was doing he didn't really fear the backlash he didn't think that there was going to be a backlash because he'd been doing it all the time i suppose the fact that he was the the, the sort of the public face or the very the most visible face of the operation maybe tells you that he was quite comfortable in his own shoes 
that he was comfortable in the role that he was playing. Yes, it didn't go well uh, at the end. And he, as I said, you know, he takes his his portion of the blame for it. Um, and he talks about transfers. He talks about Craig Dawson. He talks about some of the other players in the group. He's very strong on, on Andre Gray and, and his situation at the moment. He also speaks very, very, very warmly about Will Hughes and how important he is to the future of the football club and and the fact that he was in and around the dressing room. This is a, like a little thing that you learn. You know, he says, I, I used to go into the dressing room. I didn't talk, but I would I would watch and see what see how things were going. And when when Watford were relegated, Will Hughes was one of the players that he could see was really wearing the frustration and the and the pain of getting of getting relegated. And he always thinks that he is, you know, a, a captain on the training pitch and, and you know, future captain on the pitch as well. So that was sort of quite heartening to hear. But it also makes you think, well, we have to make sure that we get it right with Will Hughes for the remainder of this season because we want to keep hold of him because he knows what it means and he is someone to build a team around. So there was lots of different elements to the to the piece and to the interview. But one thing I think is really important to, to point out from, from all of this and from everything that he says is the fact that he was able to say it and he was able to speak freely. And I think that that's what people will get from this piece, obviously. Obviously, a lot of people will still think, yeah, oh, God, if he'd done something differently, we might still be in the Premier League. Of course, he knows that. He understands that. But I think it was really important to be able to talk about it because there's nothing wrong with failing. That's the thing that I think that obviously gets lost sometimes in the polarising world of, of social media. And, and, you know, he mentions about people being thrown under the bus and things like that. It's all right to fail. We all fail. We make mistakes all the time. These guys failed. But if you talk about it, you discuss it, it sort of kills the story a little bit and it makes it more understandable. And you get people on your side. We're all in this together. You know, we're all Watford. They are, yes, they are the owners of the football club. But it's important sometimes to remind the fans that, yes, we are all in this together. And, And although he is now outside of the football club it was just a nice reminder that that they do have you know that the best interests on the whole of the football club at their heart and it would be nice you know to to maybe have a little bit more free discussion and communication from from the very top it popped up on my social media earlier on I hadn't really thought about it but I think Gino Pozzo's only really done one interview and that was back just after he'd bought the club maybe in 2013 mm. or something like that. Yeah, with Frank and the what Observer, yeah. It's overdue. It's not uh, it's not a matter of you know wanting to hear from him day in day out and yeah. you know have a, a daily Gino bulletin. It's just a little bit more of a running commentary. You see it at other clubs. Um I know that Scott Duxbury, you know, pops up now and now and again. I don't think the the sort of the hive live Q&A thing went particularly well and I don't think I think the you know the live audience does sort of help those sort of things so maybe that they might be reticent to do many more of those at at the moment because you, you it's nice to have that live element and and you know Filippo had made his part in some of those events that they've done before in in pubs and and, and things like that and at the club um but yeah hopefully hopefully you know this is this has maybe opened it up a little bit for fans and they can learn a little bit more and people outside of the club can learn a little bit more. And maybe it might even sort of set off a, a few thoughts within the club to, to sort of think, well, yeah, maybe we should maybe be a little bit more open. And and I know it's a difficult time at the moment. Maybe this mm. isn't the, the, the time to be doing it. I understand that. But 
it's it's i think i can't remember who the company was but it's it is good to talk it's good to talk and i think it would be great if we if we had a little bit more talking from the top you mentioned that it's not might not be the right time well i actually woke up this morning adam and read the piece and felt better about the the club you know we've been we've been critical and, and frustrated and upset and worried over the past couple of weeks and that doesn't get washed away just because we've heard from from someone and it doesn't it doesn't wash away the frustrations of of, of relegation it doesn't wash away the the what ifs of the mistakes that were made but what it mm. does do is like i said you know it, it makes you realize and makes you stop and pause for thought that you know, it's, it's a difficult job being done by people that are just humans like like us. And just that having that vague, vague, increased understanding of what goes on and a sort of vague belief that there is a, a system and a process and protocols and just that look behind the curtain just does give you reason to a stop and think and b think, well, yeah, actually, this is it's people doing their best for something that we for something that we care about. And that and that does come down to I think having that little bit of understanding. We'll never be privy to all the all the conversations. We'd never ever expect to be, um, nor 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 should we be. Um, but just just hearing that a few little kernels here and there, just a few little anecdotes, a few little bits of information about uh, about what goes on and and why. And you know, immediately I felt like it, like a cloud had been lifted. You know, that it doesn't change the way the team had been playing. It doesn't change the concerns we've had about this season so far and that, that we will continue to have if things don't improve on the pitch. But it's like, oh, OK, I get it a bit more now. Hugely, hugely valuable. So I think it's come at, at, at a great time. Fascinating above it. I think it's interesting for any other... Um, for, for You don't need to be a Watford supporter to be interested by it because I think Watford have, you know, they are a bit of a curate's egg in the footballing world, aren't they? There's people sort of raised eyebrows whenever you hear them, hear them mentioned or a roll of the eyeballs, whatever. So I think people getting that glimpse inside it will be um, will, will be fascinating for anyone with with a passing interest in football. And I don't think it's done Watford um, reputationally any harm whatsoever. So yeah, hopefully there can be um, a little bit more of it. Uh, Adam, if I had a Steve Wright in the afternoon sound effect where it's made it sound like there were 50 people in this room with me, uh, giving you a round of applause uh, for, for an interview, I would play that right now, uh, but I don't. But a little one for me. Uh, yeah, so it was, oh, thank uh, you. Yeah, it was fantastic. And as, as I said, every mic's there, I absolutely back up. Um, it, did, it did give you a different feeling towards the, the, the bad times we're having at the moment. Uh, we're, we're not going to talk about the weekend just because let's just have a couple of days off. Um, but uh, but who's, who's next on the radar, Adam? It's Rick Holden, isn't it? That's who you want to interview next, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a great name. Well, no, I haven't forgotten about Glenn Hodges either. So, yeah, it's uh, Rick Holden, <laughs> Glenn, Glenn Hodges, Hodges yep. and Jason Drysdale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The big, the big hitters. Huge, huge with the Watford fans of about the, well, about 15. Uh, the article we've been talking about in this podcast, you can go and read the whole thing, the full analysis Adam's done on The Athletic. Just go to athletic.com forward slash rookery end. Uh, and at the moment, you get it for three ninety nine a month, which is about 13p a day. Uh, so you can go and read the full thing there right now. We'll be back with another podcast after the Bristol City game uh, on Saturday. What time is the kickoff on Saturday? I never know these days. Is it, is it normal time? Three o'clock? Yeah, let's just hope Watford kick off at the same time that the, the whistle's blown. That's all I can hope for. <laughs> uh, and uh, we'll be back with another podcast uh, after that. Thank you very much, Michael. Not a problem. Thank you, Adam. And uh, thank you to Filippo Giraldi as well for giving you time. But yeah, well done, Ad. That was, uh, that was brilliant. Thank you for bringing it to us. Uh, and thank you, of course, Adam. Absolute pleasure. Gents, I hope everyone enjoys uh, reading it. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed we're uh, 
We're on for a better run. Fingers crossed. The Athletic.